Hey, it's another interview on Growing Up Punk. So on this episode, uh, Aaron had the chance to sit down with a guy by the name of Dan Thomas. Now, Dan Thomas, uh, as you'll find out, played bass in a band called The Undecided. Uh, The Undecided were actually the first Canadian band to sign to Tooth & Nail Records in the late 90s, putting out a couple of albums on Tooth & Nail, coming from Manitoba. Anyway, I'm not going to waste much more time going on about that. I am going to tell you, go follow us on our social media accounts, at Growing Punk Pod uh, on Twitter, at Growing Up Punk on Instagram. You can find Aaron and myself uh, on there as well. Uh, Yeah, without further ado, though, it's Aaron chatting with Dan Thomas from The Undecided. Yeah, so let's just start right from kind of right from the beginning. Um, you know, what, how did you get into music? What was you know going on in your life at that time? What were some of the things that were influencing you? Man, I think I mean for me, I was always into music growing up. Always just kind of gravitated to it. I think really enjoyed it. But I had a stepdad that played live music, and and that was his job for a, a good chunk of my life. And all his brothers play music, and so I was kind of around live music growing up, and I just, I loved it, and, uh, you know, got a little bit older, and and uh, tried to sort of learn to play a little bit of guitar, I guess, and then I actually, like, I never, you know, did it too serious, but I, I graduated high school and moved away, and then when I came back to the uh, town that I was living in, um, I found out that some um, friends of mine they were a little bit younger than me so they were still in high school but they had started a band for a talent show and and after they'd done that they decided that they still wanted to to kind of keep doing it and have a band uh, but they needed a bass player and I, was, so I just kind of said well I'll, I'll i'll learn to play bass like let me try you know yeah that's awesome and yeah and it kind of just that's i think what got the ball rolling for me and do you remember what that first band was called Yep, we were called Gooch. Nice. You know what? I think from that's Landmark, actually, Manitoba. I think that's the first time I saw you play music. If you uh, were playing with them at um, at Youth Encounter, like that would have been—I don't know what year that would have been, like 2000, maybe. Would have you been in the band um, at that time? You know what? I undecided did Youth Encounter. Gooch never did. Oh, are you sure? No, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I feel. Like I know it, we did. Could it have been Joe's place in Moose Jaw? Well, because I remember being at Youth Encounter. That's where I fir- first met uh, Cliffy Hyde, uh, who was playing in Arch Rivals, and I'm almost positive that that Gooch played as well. Maybe it was a different year, but I mean, e- e- either way, that's a band that uh, maybe not many people would know of. But that's that's funny. Well, and when I was done playing with Gooch, I mean, they kept going so. That could very well be. And then they went on to kind of reform and become the home team. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. They were a cool band. And they were a great band. Yeah, they were a really cool band. I keep bugging those guys that they should get together again. There are most of them are, you know, in Manitoba and I don't think doing too much with music, but I really think they should be. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So what were some of those like those earlier bands that, that influenced you? Like you said your your stepdad was was playing in a band and like what what was the influence there and or was there any records he was playing that kind of caught your ear? 
like I grew up on really old country. Like my first concert was um, Merle Haggard. Nice. <laughs> I think I think it was Merle Haggard. I fell asleep. <laughs> I was pretty young, but I remember like you know seeing Kenny Rogers and like these kind of and and old country dudes. And then obviously as I got older, I got you know a little more into the rock and roll. Um, I was a really big U2 fan growing up. Yeah, cool. And I was a really, really big fan of this band um, from Wales called The Alarm. Hmm. And most people have never heard of them, but I still love them dearly. And then, um, you know, it was kind of rock band. And then there was a music store on on Portage Avenue here in Winnipeg. Um, I think it was a Sam the Record Man. But in the basement, or it might have been Music City, whatever it was, in the basement, they, they had a section that was called the cellar where they where they had like punk rock bands and hardcore bands. And I didn't know anything about that stuff and went down there one day and uh, the guy working there sold me uh, the first face to face record. It was just yeah. coming or just came out. Awesome. Don't turn away. And I just like I loved it from the first listen. Hmm. Yeah. So what did that been like your kind of first introduction to to punk music? Yeah, for sure it would have been. And I like I couldn't like I'm I listened to that record so much. I couldn't get enough of it. Yeah, that band uh, yeah, super influential. We actually just did a, an episode about them a couple of weeks ago and yeah, one of those bands that has just been around for so long and is so consistent and um yeah, just so much nostalgia attached to attached to them. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like I remember you know, the first time I saw them they played an old place here called Les Rendezvous, and they were so good. I mean, they were really just, just hitting their stride. And then I saw them, I don't know, maybe two years ago here in Winnipeg in a club, and they were still, like, they were great. Yeah. And they were awesome. Yeah, yeah. I actually saw them for the first time maybe just a year ago or so, and, yeah, still yeah. still so good. And they just released a live record, which is amazing. And, yeah, it's crazy to think yeah, that they... they're still, you know, still going so strong. I haven't heard that record. I'd love to. Like, I know Fat Records was doing those Live and a Dive series, and um, I think that's who put it out. I, I think for sure it's going to be great. Yeah, yeah, so good. Yeah, so when would you say that you knew that music was, you know, your thing? Like, you know, you said you were around it a lot, and you kind of got into it um, even more so, um, you know, later in your teenage years and started playing in bands. And was there ever a point where you just knew that was kind of your thing or was it just something you enjoyed and kind of just did it for something to do? I tried to enjoy it for something to do, I guess, before I graduated, like just cause I was trying to figure out how to play a little bit. And then, um, when I came back, like I moved out to Lake Louise to be a snowboard bump for, for a year after I graduated, when I came back and then, and then started playing with Goots, trying to be their bass player, I just like I loved it. My enthusiasm was pretty high. Like I love going to band practice, love learning new songs. I like I was all in. I just I loved it. So you kind of, you know, at that point you wanted to pursue it more? Or like how did you know that you know you wanted to keep doing it versus just saying, oh, I'm just gonna kinda leave it at that and, and move on to something else? I knew like for sure I knew that I always wanted to be playing. So with Goots you know, like we started playing local shows and then meeting other bands. And then, uh, we met a band from Winnipeg there. They were called shambles. Oh man. So good. And 
yeah, like got along so good with those guys. And then they needed, well, they didn't need a bass player, but they wound up just kind of parting ways with their bass player. So then I joined Shambles and that was a ton of fun. And that was a little bit more like punk rockish than, than Gooch was. And then, uh, in, you know, playing now with two bands and playing shows, wound up getting to know, you know, the undecided guys a little bit. And yeah. like just sort of one thing led to another. And I was always really in, into the undecided, like way before my time, I thought they were awesome, you know, just like the real deal. Yeah. And when I wound up joining that band, I just kind of said, Hey, like we're, we're going to make a go of this. Like, you know, I wasn't taking no for an answer. Like, again, my enthusiasm was, was at an all time high. And I was like, we're doing this. Like, yeah, well, you made it happen. So good for you. Yeah. Yeah. And we kind of, you know, we had a lot of fun, got to do some cool stuff. So when you, when you met those guys, were they like a full-time band or were they just kind of going or what kind of walk us through how that transition happened? So those guys formed when they were in high school uh, and I, they toured, this is before my time, but they toured the U.S. I think the year before they graduated Oh wow! was the first time like they ventured out and toured, which is like crazy to think about it now like back in the day you know there's just like four kids from steinbach manitoba with no internet right you know it's like phone calls and figure it out yeah so were they signed at that point or not yet no no so they weren't signed uh they had recorded a i don't even know if they'd done their cd yet they might have done their first cd or or for sure like some demos and then they put that out. They were doing their thing locally in Winnipeg. I really liked that band. Um, and then they parted ways with that bass player. I don't think it was a, a bad thing, just for whatever reason. I don't know. He wasn't into it or somebody wasn't into it. And, like, they're still buddies. And then um, a different guy joined, a guy named Chris. And he played with them for a while. And that's probably when I really started to get to know them. And then there was a bit of an incident with him and it looked like things weren't going to go that good moving forward. And so the drummer showed up at my work the one day, like, you know, he was trying to be like super DL and was like, Hey man, like, I can't tell you what's going on, but learn these songs and, uh, (laughs) you know, I'll I'll bug you, I'll bug you next week kind of thing. And I was like, okay, like, well, okay, you know, whatever. And then, uh, you know, was figured obviously something with potentially me joining a band and was pretty excited about that. And then one thing led to another in pretty short time. I was, uh, you know, asked if I wanted to join the band. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. And how did, how did it work with you guys? You know, was it a conscious decision that, you know, we're going to make this thing work. We're going to try to get signed and tour, or was it just, Hey, let's throw, you know, a demo there, see what happens and kind of tour a bit more. What was, um, what were the thoughts kind of going on at that time? I think it was for sure in, in their minds, even before I joined the band to potentially make a goal of it. Like they had sent, uh, some songs to fat records. And I think back then fat records used to have like a, like a response sheet with like a checklist. And like, oh, yeah. you know, the top check mark would be like, you guys are the greatest. Like, well, I'm flying you down a, San Francisco and signing you in the bottom checklist would be like, you know, don't ever contact us ever again. 
And I think they had a, they, like, they got pretty good feedback hmm. from, from that label. And then uh, when I joined, again, you know, just bringing a different enthusiasm and excitement to the band, we started talking about Tooth and Nail. And I, I think the focus of the Undecided at that point had shifted and was starting to be, you know, a little more of a, a Christian band and less of, you know, there were some incidents in life that that led those guys to take a bit of a break and then come back together with a, a renewed value and look on life, I guess. Yeah. And so Tooth and Nail was, you know, like that was something that we had talked about. And there was also another band from Steinbach called Officer Down. Yeah, and right. our drummer, like, so Steve played an Officer Down. Yeah. Don Paul played an Officer Down. So I don't, it must have been like the first summer that I was in the band. We had submitted demos to Cornerstone thinking, you know, if we can, then we'll go and we'll play. Yeah. And Office, Officer Down did the same thing. And so we both get letters back. Officer Down gets their letter and it's like, yep, we want you guys for sure. Here's your slot. Undecided, it's like, thanks for submitting your demo. We're not interested. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so Matt, our singer Matt and I were kind of on the outside looking in going, oh man, like, you know, in our minds, Officer Down is like, they're, they're the next big hardcore band. Like, yeah. I, I still think, honestly, those guys were kind of ahead of their time. Like, they were just doing their thing that, I don't know, it wasn't really like much else, I don't think, going on at the time. So we really figured that was going to be it. But we went down anyway with those guys and probably pretended to be supportive. <laughs> and <laughs> we, And then, so Matt and I had said, hey, like, let's, Let's see if we can get on the impromptu stage. And I brought demos and stuff down and met a couple of different bands. Uh, Slick Shoes was one of the bands that we kind of just bonded with right out of the gate. Yeah, awesome. And um, their drummer, Joe, had listened to our demo and I saw him the next day and he kind of flagged us down. He was like, hey, man, like, I listened to your stuff. And like he's like, dude, I love it, man. Like, Are you guys going to play? He said, no, we're trying. You know, we'll see if we can get on this impromptu stage. And he says, man, if you guys are going to play, you've got to let me know. And I'll bring I'll bring Bill and Brandon from Tooth and Nail. Yeah, wow. And we were like, okay, like, that'd be cool. So we wound up getting getting on the impromptu. And uh, Joe came with Bill, with Billy Power. Yeah, crazy. And it just kind of that got the whole thing rolling. Like, we played. And Bill was like, hey, man, like, loved it like really loved it um you know here's my here's my number and, and my contact now the internet was starting to become a thing here's my email address yeah and he was like uh i'm gonna get you guys to send me some more stuff for sure hmm. wow and then that sort of you know began the road of of getting uh signed by tooth and nail and so how did the other guys in officer down feel about that like was that kind of stealing their thunder at all or was it kind of just whoever gets signed first We'll just focus on that band. You know, I don't think so. Like, I think they were all pretty cool with it. Like, it, they had a great show down there, too, and it, it seemed to have some attention. So I think they were still just ready, ready to do their thing if the opportunity came. And I think we were likely a little bit more aggressive with it. Like, right. you know, as soon as Bill said, send me more songs, we were like, okay, well, let's go record some songs. Yeah. Let's get on it. And... You know, I don't know, like, Officer Down, I 
think had just put out a full length record. I think my timeline could be off. Yeah. So there probably wasn't a ton of new stuff for them to start um, recording. Right. And Undecided had some songs kind of in the can, ready to ready to go and ready to record. And yeah, I don't know. One thing, you know, we all got back home. We we left Cornerstone, and I think Officer Down. No, they might have toured on the way down there and played a couple shows on the way down there. And then, uh, yeah, we all just sort of came home and, I don't know, did our thing. And they still did their thing, and one thing led to another. And we wound up signing. I think some of the Officer Down guys like started moving away, and they had other, some of them had other projects going. So it wasn't like a, a negative where they just had decided, you know, nothing's going on, we're out of here. I, right. I think they, they all sort of had other ideas as far as what they wanted to do in life too. And we're still sort of doing what they thought they had to do to make those things happen. Hmm. So are you guys like super pumped about the tooth and nail thing or was it, you know, was it a dream come true or was it just, yeah, cool. Let's, let's give this a go and kind of see what happens. Yeah. I think a bit of like, for sure, we were excited. There's no doubt. Like we were, we were super excited about it. Uh, we were the first Canadian band right. that they'd signed. So, and I remember for being us, so that was stoked really about cool. that, too. Yeah, us too, man, for sure. Um, so we were super excited and kind of figured this is, you know, like, you look back down and you laugh, it's like, yeah, like, this is, this is it. Like, we're going to be on tooth and nail, so we're going to sell tons of records and we're just going to tour forever. Like, And how soon you know, did like, that reality hit you that uh, maybe it wasn't exactly what you thought it would be? I don't think it took very long. <laughs> and it's not that it was bad, you know, it's just, you start, like our first tour that we did kind of under the tooth and nail thing was like, I think it was like three months. Wow. Like it was so long and we were home for, for, I don't know, like five or six days or something in that three month window. We toured with Dogwood. Um, we started in California, I think, went all the way up to Alaska, Wow! came across Canada, played in Winnipeg. Those guys drove home. We stayed home for, I don't know, a week or whatever it was. And then we met them somewhere else. I can't remember where we started. We might have even been back in California. And then went back out for like another six weeks. Like it was unbelievably long. And did that like... Were you guys wanting to be on the road that much, or was that more than you'd kind of bargained for? I think that we thought that we did. You know, we were excited to to do it and get it going. You just you start to learn the ins and outs of being in a confined space with your three best buddies yeah. for that period of time, and everyone has good days and bad days. And it wasn't like it, it wasn't fighting, but you start realizing because we didn't really like I hadn't really toured you know we i'd gone away with the other bands for weekends and things and and had the best time doing it but now suddenly you're missing i don't you know your buddy's birthday or your buddy's wedding or your yeah. buddy you know and those things we kind of always said like we can't you'll never accommodate everybody like if you start deciding okay well i gotta be home on this date for this thing and this guy's gotta be home on this date for that thing it's like well you're never gonna be on the road yeah 
Yeah, and I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions about you know getting signed, especially when it's a you know it's a big label. You're still essentially nobody. Like, yeah, you might have some more promotion and you have the logo on the back of your CD, but it's not like that means you know hundreds of people are coming to your shows and it's just so worth it all of a sudden. Like, it's it's a it's a grind, and yeah, like you said, it it kind of reality hits in and you you know kind of realize like, okay, am I really am I really in this or is the, yeah you know, exactly? And you're still playing shows where you know the end of the night some promoter some dude is like you know i like the club cost this and he's like so you know like i give you guys 25 bucks it's like what yeah was it, what were those what were those tours like those first few was it still you know just kind of smaller smaller capacity shows and or did, did it, the tooth and it nail... sort of depended you know like so the first the dogwood tour so we had a booking agent that we kind of hooked up with who was a guy uh, that worked at Tooth and Nail and moved on to start his own thing? Uh, Chad Pearson started this this group called the Militia Group. Yeah, yeah. And so he was booking Slick Shoes. He was booking Dogwood. He was booking us. I think he was booking the Huntingtons, uh, the Dingies, Fan Mail. I think. Yeah, awesome. Um, and 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 Chad was awesome, man. Like, you know, in hindsight, there were for sure the the odd incident where we were probably you know things didn't work out and so you know we get frustrated and probably didn't give him a fair shake at times like in especially in the early days yeah but we've said you know in hindsight like it, it must have been so much work for that guy to start this business and start trying to book like he had a good handful of bands like he would have been booking shows the whole time right you know but I remember like one we were in Texas, I think, and we drove like all night. Like we had this long drive and we get to town and we had a tour block. So, you know, like contacts and all that stuff show up to where we're going. And it's like, there's no one, like the doors are locked Yeah. and start reaching out and phone calls and calling this and calling that. And then finding out, Oh no, like that, that show was canceled like months ago. Wow. And we're like, Oh, okay. Like, super glad we just drove 15 or 16 hours or whatever it was to get yeah. here for nothing like those those are hard days yeah well for sure yeah that's a pretty classic story i mean i've heard that from you know so many bands and even the band i played yeah. in too right like yeah you're just you want to just be playing and you spend all this time and money and you get there and so yeah it's you know kind of one of those goes with the misconceptions that just because you're on you know a solidified label, you're still dealing with all the, you know, all that kind of crap that, that bands of that size have to deal with. Yeah, totally. And then, you know, two nights later, you're playing in like Mesa, Arizona with Squad 5.0 and Project 86 and Value Pack. And it's like, it's jam packed. Like it's a great show. Yeah. Well, that sounds amazing. You know, like it's just like a teeter totter, really. Yeah. And, and did that kind of carry out throughout your whole, touring time did it ever even out more or was it always fairly hit and miss yeah i would think it evened out a little bit but there were for sure still you know those shows that just for whatever reason didn't work out or some young kid was you know gonna promote it and took it on and then you know didn't put up a single poster and it's like yeah. oh, dude like there's no instagram there's no facebook yeah 
it's it's harder than that you know figure it out or weather like i remember we played in myrtle beach i think and it snowed or it might have been charlotte wherever it was it was one in one of the carolinas and a snowstorm rolled in and they don't get snow ever yeah and like it was mostly slush like I remember driving to Walmart, taking our van and ripping down to Walmart, and people couldn't believe that I had driven a vehicle down there to go inside the store. Yeah. You That's know, and we were like, it's not that, it's not that bad. <laughs> they only knew so where you came was, from. Yeah, exactly. So there were like two people at that show. Yeah. Wow. And so we played though. It was like, well, they're here. Let's play. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's, That's what we're thing, here right? for. Yeah. Do you, do you know what that uh, first record did on Tooth and Nail sales wise? Kind of, or like green one, I yeah, I think it was around ten thousand. And is that what you were hoping for? Or did they tell you kind of, you know, this is what most new bands sell? Was there any? I'm always just so intrigued to hear kind of the numbers on on that kind of stuff. They really didn't ever tell us much, honestly. Like whether it was good, bad, what they just wanted us to tour. I think Brandon wanted all their all his bands to tour. Right. Like that was like if you want to sell records to her the the thing that we always should have done too like so that all runs on i don't know what it does these days but it used to run on this on sound scan right yeah and you could get sheets that you could get signed off on the venue and anything you would sell at a show could be sound scan well we didn't do that one time ever wow you know and we should have like looking back those are things that brandon's gonna appreciate those numbers yeah and the more you sell, the more effort and energy they're going to put in you. And it was tough being from Canada. Like I remember Bill calling one day saying, Hey man, you got this great opportunity. Do you want, you guys want to go with the Supertones for, I don't know, whatever it was like a month or, and we were, you know, I was like, yeah, man, like that sounds great. When is it? He's like, well, it starts in a week. I'm like, well, dude, we can't cross the border in a week. Like we need visas. Yeah, we need right. contracts. We need like, it's going to take time. Yeah, yeah, definitely a frustrating part of that. Yeah, we didn't know we started um, faking contracts shortly thereafter. Yeah, yeah, which was <laughs> just to main, just to maintain our visas. Like, yeah, it was kind of the only option, really. Yeah, that's crazy. So so much stuff that American bands just don't understand. I mean, they might get turned down coming up here, which maybe isn't as as big of a loss as a canadian band that's trying to you know break out in the states like that's that sucks to pass up a tour like that because that's yeah what's socials would have been great yeah so what's kind of transitioning into into the next album um so how long did you guys tour off of that first album uh probably a good year for sure toured a fair bit and then what was the thought maybe a little longer like going into the next album, because there was, you know, a bit of a shift in sound. It, you know, had a bit more of a polished sound, um, almost. Like, it was still definitely a punk rock album, but I, I feel like it, at times, leaned even more towards the rock side of it. And, um, yeah, what, what was the thoughts with, with that album? Or was there any, or was that just kind of the the clear progression? I think we were, we just sort of said, like, let's just write whatever we want to write. And, and our guitar player, John, was always... He loved punk rock for sure, but he also really liked rock. Right. He liked rock music. So he wanted to write some of the poppy sort of stuff. You know, like Steve hated it. Steve wanted punk rock. He wanted fast and he wanted punk rock. Yeah. 
And then the first record we just did it here in Winnipeg um, with a local producer, a guy named John Sutton, who, you know, like used to record Propagandy when they were starting out. And uh, John Sutton played in the Weaker Vans. Um, He was in other like old punk rock bands and like Red Fisher and Elliot, like local rock star, right? Yeah. And he did the first record. And then on the second one, we started kind of just seeking out different people and, you know, looking at like actually hiring a producer. We had a bit more of a budget. So we hired Neil King. Uh, he had just finished doing the Gob record. Yeah, in Vancouver. So oh yeah. And he had done like Ozzy and like, I don't know. He'd done some pretty big stuff. Morrissey, I think. Wow. And so that was the first time where we really had a chance to like work with, you know, what we would have considered like a legitimate, like a rock producer, like this yeah. guy's been there and done that. And I remember him some tunes, like he just slowed him down. Hmm. Like he, you know, just like play it slower. No, it's way too fast, man. You got to play it slower. How and did you so guys we, respond to that? Like was, was that- we just listened. We were like, he's Neil King. He's the producer. <laughs> Yeah, and I hear that lots when different bands are talking where they where they go with you know a different guy and and he'd have you know say something like yeah like you know, slow it down or you know just keep it simple take out all the big drum fills or whatever it is and bands kind of you know they take that because you know they understand this producer has lots of experience but then years down the line they kind of realize that you know they don't really like that record they should have just gone to someone who you know, just want to kind of kept the energy alive. And I guess right. that's just part of learning and, you know, you want to branch out and do something else. And I guess sometimes yeah. it works for you and sometimes maybe it doesn't. Not not saying it didn't, but I've, you know, I've been in a similar, similar instance as that. And it's, yeah, it's kind of a frustrating place to be. Yeah. I think for us, we just sort of figured, Hey man, like this is, this guy's the experience. Like he knows better than we do. So if he says, you know, slow this part down, let's do it. And if he says, repeat this course again on the end, do it. And if he says that bridge sucks, rewrite it, then do it. Like we just figured, you know, he, he knew best and it's a a fresh perspective. Like you write songs and then you practice them and you feel like you're ready to go and you've heard them a million times now. And now you've got new, what you would consider experienced ears giving them a go like he i remember he walked into the studio on the first day first it was like freezing cold and he couldn't believe it i think he was living in san francisco at the time oh, okay so the cold like the cold was just it was killing him yeah but he walked into the studio and into the room into like the the live room and he just he started clapping and like listening and kind of you know deciding like you know you know put the drums here and like we uh, we've never seen anyone do that we, like, this this guy like this guy knows what he's doing like, he's the real yeah. deal look he's clapping <laughs> that, that's the the true sign of a great producer knows how to clap more. yeah if you can if you can clap in the live room and decide where you want to put the drum kit he's your guy and did uh two like what was tooth and nails thoughts on that on that follow-up album they were cool with it bill was excited about it bill always really liked us and i you know, I think we all feel like he was pretty supportive. We never really hung out with Brandon much or talked to him a, a whole ton because we were one of Bill's bands. Right. Um, 
but we had a bit of a, a better budget. And Brandon was happy that we were going to record it in Winnipeg. We really wanted Ryan Green. Oh, that would have been awesome. And I don't remember if it was... I just, like, I found his number and I cold called him. And I left him a message. And I, he, so he called me back. We talked. And then I think, and I don't want to mix it up, but I think we hadn't done the second record yet. And, and he kind of was thinking maybe like, let, we'll do, we'll do the third record maybe with Ryan. Like, oh, okay. like, let's stay, like, let's keep Neil and let's do it in Winnipeg. Cause it's Canadian dollars probably and the American dollar goes a little further and we're going to save money. Yeah. But then I remember then all of a sudden, we, so he was pretty stoked that I'd been talking to Ryan green and I gave him, uh, Ryan's number and then dog would get a record with him like right oh, away. Yeah. And I remember thinking like, what? Dang. Like, like, didn't I do the legwork on this? Yeah. <laughs> But of course he was going to get Dogwood to do a record with, with Ryan Green right away. Like Dogwood sold records, man. Dogwood did well. Yeah. They were a busy, hardworking, busy band. They totally deserved to do a record with Ryan Green. Yeah. And what, what record was that for Dogwood? Was that, uh, uh, it more might than... have been More Than Conquerors. Oh, okay, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, I guess that's how it goes sometimes, right? In music, you kind of you get something lined up, and then it can just shift so easily. And oh, for sure, well, especially when it's yeah. when it's your friends taking it too. You know, it's like okay, we're happy for them, but you know, it's yeah. it's cool to think what that might have been had you guys gone and worked with him. So yeah, for sure. I guess yeah. And did well, you? Hard, you know. And on that second album, did you guys continue to, to tour full time? Like, was that still in your mindset of like we're just going to keep keep this machine going or, you know, were guys getting married and slowing things down by then? Or what was that like? Yeah. So the intent I think was that we were going to tour pretty hard on it. And then Matt got married. Uh, but the idea was still, you know, we'll just, we'll keep, keep doing it. John was starting to wonder if he really would want that life for forever, you know? Yeah. Um, and he was starting to look at getting married as well. And so then, you know, like, I think then he got married and then it was like kids were coming. And then like the next thing you know, it's then maybe school is an option for somebody else. And it's right. like, okay, clearly, you know, and we always said like how long, you know, like we could, we could go to the road and make some money and, and support ourselves. But for how long are you going to be able to really support a family and, Right. Like how long is a little pop punk band going to be selling records and selling tickets to shows? Like you just didn't know. Yeah. And so you know, I mean, MXPX was obviously just crushing it year after year after year after year. Right. They were a pretty special band. It's not, oh, like it's for sure. not, not every band can have that longevity and, and, all of it, and yeah. honestly, like a lot of it is just kind of luck, right? Like it's not like they, had something that you guys didn't, or maybe they've just been going longer or whatever it is, right? Like there's so much just, well, this band blows up and this one doesn't. So they came from the same place sounding the same. And it just, just kind of the way the music industry is. Yeah, for sure. And they were great. Like, and those dudes worked hard. Yeah. They toured relentlessly. 
Did you guys get to play with them much or tour with them at all? Uh, not. No, we never toured with them. I think we played with them. I know we hung out a, a few times for sure. Uh, I don't know if we played with them in Winnipeg or if we. I don't know. You know what? Aside from the Warp Tour, I don't know if we ever played like a regular show with them. Hmm. Well, well, and there was, I mean, there were so many good punk bands back then. So, you know, I'm sure there was, there was no shortage of, of cool bands to try tour with or whatever. Oh, for sure. And tooth and nail was signing bands like crazy. Like, you know, we, yeah, like, especially then. So with those, we played with value pack and Goaty hook and, Hangnail and Stave Stake and Element 101 and you know, oh man, yeah, Squad 5 always just signed a tooth and nail. Project 86. Yeah, wow. There were so many, like there were so many bands that seemed like they were signing at the time. Yeah. Oh, I feel like I could just, you know, spend an hour asking questions about all that, but um, so did you guys like make a plan to, you know, okay, we're, we're not going to stop touring or we're still going to keep playing locally or did you guys just kind of say, you know, we're playing a last show and then that's it? How did how did things kind of end for the band? You know what? When John so John was starting to record and produce bands and had a family, we were still kind of touring a little bit, but really, I think starting to realize, man, like we're gonna need to find jobs here like yeah. we're gonna need a career at some point and then um steve still really wanted to, to play in tour and so he jumped in with figure four oh, yeah, local right. yeah. hardcore band and they were like doing their thing and doing well and then so we got another buddy of ours to to play with us and it just became pretty clear that you know like matt had decided that he was going to apply to school and then I kind of thought, well, I guess I better as well. Like now's the time, right? You know, and, and was, we were still doing local stuff and playing, and then not like there was never a formal. Hey, this is it. You know, we just kind of hadn't played in a long time, and no one really was upset or or mad about it. And then something came up here in Winnipeg. A friend of ours was putting out a book about a local music scene. We played that show, cool. and then. And then again, it was a big space. And then a venue here in town, the Albert, had been shut down and reopened and shut down and reopened about 100 times. Mm, yeah. And then, so that was reopening. So we did that show. And we really haven't played, I think, since. I mean, we're all buddies and stuff, but we just haven't. But now it's called Click Shoes. Uh, just re signed. They're on Tooth and Nail again. Yeah. And so I was talking with those guys last week. And they were asking if we wanted to uh, to fly out to play some shows. Oh, wow. So I don't... I mean, it'd be fun. You know, it'd be a good time. I don't know that it will ever happen. Yeah, it's hard to know sometimes with those opportunities. Like, is it worth the time and the effort? And, you know, is it worth resurrecting something that maybe, you know, isn't what it used to be or... Yeah, and it would be fun. Like, Steve... Matt was just in town. Matt doesn't live in Winnipeg anymore, so he was just okay. in town. I was out with him, and then Steve joined us later on, and I told those guys that, that I talked to some of the Slick Shoes guys, and they were they were into the 
idea. Like they just, but you know, like it's purely nostalgic and for fun. Like right. we had such a good time with, with the slick shoes guys. And you know, if it worked out and didn't cost us much, right. Yeah. You know, to, to fly down, like, again, you could probably fly down there four guys and play a few shows and pretty well cover your costs. Yeah. Um, they would be good shows for sure. Like slick shoes is, they've started to play again. They played a few shows here with MXPX. Yeah, that's right. I think they've, they've still got plenty of momentum yeah, definitely. at home. Yeah. Yeah. We're hoping uh, to have those guys on sometime too, but yeah, it's so yeah, it is cool. There's, there are bands that are still, you know, maybe they take 10 years off and then realize, Hey, like we miss doing this. We, you know, we can make it work on weekends or whatever. And so that's, that's great. Yeah. And everyone's like, that's sort of the time we're in, right? Like everybody's getting back together. Like, Five Iron Frenzies playing with MXPX. And, yeah. uh, I just heard Rage Against the Machine is getting back together and they're going to yeah, play that's crazy. Still, like They're going to be sold out in five seconds. Like, yeah. The the bands that I've heard that apparently the Smashing Pumpkins are going to get back on the road. It's like, oh, those guys wow. will probably sell out in 10 seconds too. Like, all those old bands that, that everyone loved that haven't played in so long, like, it's it's nostalgia. I'm sure if we played in Winnipeg, we'd have a pretty good turnout, but I think if Slick Hughes or, or Goaty Hook came to Winnipeg, I think it would still be packed. Like, I think oh, yeah. people just would come for nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah. So were you like pretty bummed out when you, when you guys kind of decided you weren't going to tour and pursue the band anymore? Or had you kind of accomplished what you'd kind of set out to I do? Don't, no, like I don't, I mean, like sort of, I suppose, like I just, I really still wanted to just be playing music. It didn't have to be that we were touring and it didn't have to be that we were trying to sell a bunch of records. I just wanted to yeah. play. And as everyone got busier, like that wasn't even really happening. Like, you know, you'd send out texts or talking like, Oh, we should get together and just like horse around and we'll just jam. And it just seemed like it never worked. Hmm. You know, somebody had something up and again, now like people are, you know, and then like Steve's married and now there's kids. And it's like, yeah. That's pretty difficult. We, you know, and John's job is like, he works evenings. Like he's a producer and an engineer. He owns a studio. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a bit it's more often difficult than, to just take off. Yeah. Often he's working into the night and, and of course he's got a family. So if he's got a night off, he might have something that the, you know, the kids have something up or, he's going to want to spend some time with them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, man. I feel like there's, uh, there's more we could go into my uh, kids are home here. So they're going to start uh, tearing the place apart. But, um, yeah, I thought we'd just finish. Maybe if you want to go through, uh, maybe your top, top three punk records, um, that would be uh, really cool. Oof, I'm going to say, oh man, putting you on the spot. Um, well, you mentioned I the face to face really... ones. So I'm assuming that's one of them. I'm, I'm going to say just, just because we already gave it a little mentions, now I'm going to skip it, but it would be in there. Um, but Strung Out, Twisted by Design, was yes. a, I just thought it was just genius. Yeah, another band like, and we played. Strong. Yeah, like I don't know. I, we played a handful of shows with those guys when that record was out. Crazy. And it was like, man, it was so good. Um, the No Use record, More Betterness. Ugh was for sure that was a big one for me too like yeah. i wish tony sly was still with us and could still write songs yeah because he was a great songwriter um 
I mean, lag wagon, like everybody liked the talk record for sure. It was super good. Oh man. There's, there's a few though. Like, and you know, to be honest with you, like the enema of the state was oh yeah, like, man, I listened to that that summer. I listened to it a ton. Yeah. Well, that was, that was, was pretty a, hard not to. It was everywhere. Brilliant record. And it was, yeah, really, it was everywhere. Such a good record. Yeah. Do you find those would be up there? Yeah, those sorry, would be up there. Okay. Okay. Those, those ones would be up there for sure. And are those records that you still find yourself, you know, like pulling out and listening to? Are you still, you know, into listening to that kind of music enough where where you can enjoy it and appreciate it still? Yeah, I totally do. Yeah. I listen to those records all the time still. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love hearing that because so many of my friends, you know, they just kind of grow out of it or. I don't know. I just I think there's something really cool about just kind of sticking with sticking with something you know that impacted you so much, and you know just still being able to enjoy it for what it is, and yeah, brings me brings me much joy. Yeah, I still haven't listened to the new Lagwagon record. I need to. I've heard that that's out. And... Yeah, well, this year, yeah, there was new Lagwagon, new Strung Out, new Good Riddance, Face to Face Live. Like, yeah, man, so I'm just Good in my glory. Is- we just played with those guys. My other band played with those guys, like, I don't know, a month ago, whatever it was. And, oh, man. man, they so were still, flawless. Hey. Man. Yeah. Like, I, they were so good. I was bummed out that they came to Winnipeg, and then it was just kind of like a one-off, like, festival or something, right, at the Park Theater? Yeah, they did, like, a South Osborne, like, Osborne Street. They do, like, a South Osborne Street Festival. And so they, they flew them in for that. I think it was them. And then the next night was the cancer bats. Okay. They, they were, they were so good. Yeah, man. I wish I Gracious, could come on for that. Great dudes. Yeah. They, they were awesome. Yeah. Well, that must feel cool knowing that, you know, you were a part of that scene, you know, whether you got as much exposure as those bands or not. But, you know, when I think of that, you know, late nineties, early two thousands punk, like the undecided is there with, with the, the biggest and the best of them. So, Good, oh, wow. good on you guys. Thanks, and I mean, you know, coming Thanks for saying that, you know, I like, uh, I'm, you know, I'm from Dauphin, Manitoba. And so, you know, not too far from Winnipeg. And so to have, you know, a, a Manitoba band signed to my favorite record label and, you know, be putting out records with all my favorite bands. Like, yeah, it was, and, and I'm not, I know I'm not the only one. There's, there's lots of us that, you know, highly regarded you guys. And so thanks for, uh, for being a part of that. Oh, it means, it means the world every time it's, you, you never get tired of hearing that for sure it's humbling but yeah. it's, it's appreciated to hear it for sure well that's going to wrap up another episode of Growing Up Punk thanks again to Dan Thomas from The Undecided chatting with Aaron there again uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast you can find it wherever you find podcasts make sure you rate it you review it you subscribe you tell all your friends help us spread the word of Growing Up Punk and if you've got you know any artists that you would like us to discuss maybe try to get in touch with to interview that kind of stuff let us know uh, you can follow us on our social media platforms. Uh, we're on Facebook. Just look up Growing Up Punk. We're on Twitter at Growing Punk Pod. We're also on Instagram at Growing Up Punk. Aaron is on Instagram at Aaron Grew Up Punk. And myself, David, I'm on Instagram and Twitter at David Growing Up. That is going to do it. So bye bye. <laughs>